Good afternoon and welcome to Trading Card Therapy, episode number 10. We did it, double digits. We're thinking about being uh, teenagers and all of the really fun stuff that comes with growing up as a teenager in today's world. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, the doctor, Leighton Sheldon. This is Trading Card Therapy. Today's episode is called For the Love of Collecting. So I had the good fortune recently of bidding in a Robert Edward Auctions big auction event. And I bought anything uh, out of that auction or, or their past auctions from vintage cards, sets, uh, signed baseballs, photographs, things of that nature for many years now. Spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, with them. Um, and they're a tremendous company and a great selection several times a year. Uh, other great auction houses as well. The only reason why I'm plugging them today is this is where I actually bought what we're about to show off. So I have not bought that many ticket stubs, full tickets, whether it be on eBay or out of auction. It's generally not my thing. Shout out to my buddy Darren Ravel, who's really big into tickets and has been now for several years, is really reaping the benefits of that industry maturing and seeing some all-time high prices in that space. So when I saw this particular ticket available at auction, I placed an initial bid. For those of you who do not know what initial bid is in an auction, most of the sports auctions that are out there have a specific rule that if you want to bid on that item or said items on the last day during the overtime period of that auction, you'll have to have at least a, an, an initial bid or a qualifying bid on that item. So rather than make the decision then as to what I was willing to pay for it, what I was willing to go up to in the bidding, I decided to place that token initial bid. It was a low enough amount where I felt comfortable I'd be able to go and research it just a little bit later before the auction concluded. So upon my research, I was shocked to find out so many firsts that could be affiliated with one such an important, vital ticket to not just baseball, but to all of sports. And so after looking at it uh, a little bit further and trying to figure out what the budget was, this was not something I was buying to quote unquote flip. This was something I was buying for a longer hold, a longer hold being 12 months or longer. Maybe I'm going to give it to my six-year-old son Crosby one day if I'm lucky enough that he gets into collecting and we can share that experience together. And so when I initially bid on it, I did not think I would have a chance of winning it because it's so iconic. It's such a vital piece of history. And with the ticket market being on fire and exploding right before our eyes, I just figured there was no way I was going to get it. Well, fast forward, and I am proud to show off today, not only my love of collecting and what it led me to down this rabbit hole, but something even more amazing than the ticket itself. So without further ado, I paid $4,080 at public auction for something that there is only one of six encapsulated by PSA. So realize there could be more in Aunt Betty's collection, in great-great-grandfather Billy's collection, 
We don't know what's out there, so by no means am I suggesting that there is only six of these. But for the moment, there is only six of these encapsulated by PSA, and it is not only the first ever World Series game that the Yankees played in, it is also the very first game that Babe Ruth ever played in for the Yankees in the World Series. So the fact that this is Ruth's World Series, uh, his first World Series for the Yankees, it's the New York Yankees' first World Series game ever in such a storied, iconic franchise as that, I figured this thing has to sell for five figures. So when I placed my initial bid, and by the way, it's graded 1.5, I didn't buy it for the grade. I bought it because this belongs in the Hall of Fame. And usually when I get that up here and I get that in my heart and I know something is so good that it belongs in the Hall of Fame, yet I have a chance to acquire it for my collection, for an investment, whatever the case may be, I just knew I had to go for it. And go for it I did. There was likely two of us, meaning myself and someone else, bidding on it at auction. And I only know this because it started off that evening, you know, maybe sub $1,000 and back and forth, back and forth. And this is uh, a tip I'm going to share with those that are out there who are bidding in auctions and would like to bid to win, especially when you don't know what something is worth. Okay. So I saw at least, and I know people talk about in auctions, how do you know there's someone on the other side? I believe that REA uh, runs a great auction and that I was assuming this is all on the up and up. So when I'm bidding, generally there's a 30 minute clock on this particular item and all the items in REA. So in other words, if you don't get any bidding in the overtime period for 30 minutes and you're the last bid, you will win that item. So what I saw happening as the bidding was progressing for this 1921 World Series Game 1 ticket stub the Yankees' first ever World Series game and only one of six encapsulated by PSA, I could not believe that it looked like there was only two people, meaning the person was waiting until the ticker got down to almost zero and then would bid again, and then I would wait until it got down to almost zero. And then I realized we were quickly approaching my comfort level with the ticket and the dollar amount I was willing to spend. And so... Towards the end, and it might have been the last bid, I'd have to check the bidding history, instead of waiting, and this is my auction tip, instead of waiting that 30-minute window and torturing the other person and giving them some time to think about, is the person going to bid again or not? Kind of like in poker, I snapped, re-raised. Well, I didn't wait the 30 minutes on that last bid. I bid again right after they bid making it seem as though I'm going to bid again and again and again until I win this thing. The truth is, I don't have unlimited money. I knew I wasn't going to be able to bid forever, and I had to do something, and I don't have that many moves or that many tips to share in the auction bidding world. But this is a move that I've used before, and on occasion, it's worked for me. And this time it did, and I was able to take home this incredible piece of baseball history that you see right here. And what's really cool is I paid $4,080 for it in 1921, face value, 
$3.30, and that's with tax. So my journey and my love of collecting has not stopped there. Because I'm such a card nerd and a memorabilia nerd, I realized what I really wanted was a moment of time that could definitively tie this ticket to something right before your eyes. And what I'm referring to, I did not think was going to be easy to locate. Meaning I now have the ticket stub from the very first game that the New York Yankees ever played in as a franchise that is a hundred plus years old, right? New York Highlanders before the New York Yankees, they've been to literally dozens of world series and something that I'm leaving out before I show off the accompanying rabbit hole that I jumped down and the piece that I found for it. The reason why I felt comfortable with the price is because I also collect Michael Jordan memorabilia. And I have seen over the last number of years what has happened to not just Michael Jordan rookie tickets. I had Michael Jordan's second game he ever played in an NBA exhibition game sold for several thousand dollars. I've had tickets from Michael Jordan's first all-star game, his first ever slam dunk contest. And seeing the way that those prices have not only grown and escalated, to me in baseball, it will be very hard to displace Babe Ruth as the Mona Lisa of the sport. So when I saw Michael Jordan-related Bulls tickets and stubs going for thousands of dollars, in my own mind, I thought that this piece of baseball history had to be worth north of $10,000. And so if I paid $5,000 or less, I would not only feel great about it, but I'd likely be able to tell my lovely wife, Julie, who, if you're listening, thanks for your support in my collecting habit, that I have got what I believe to be either a fair or a great deal on an unbelievable piece of baseball history and memorabilia. And it doesn't hurt that I grew up and still am a diehard New York Yankees fan. So that knowledge of collecting Michael Jordan tickets and being knowledgeable about the memorabilia space at large gave me the confidence that I was willing to go to about five or $6,000. But admittedly, when I thought the ticket could be worth 10, I also understand that I'm not made of money. And if I go home and tell my wife that I bought this little piece of paper from 1921 for approximately eleven dollars or $12,000 because I got a feeling, you know, dinner might not taste that great that night if there's any dinner at all. So bringing us back to center and my collecting journey, jumping down this rabbit hole, I wanted to be able to feel like I was there. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do with the ticket stuff, but in my mind, and having read some books recently with my son Crosby, one of them is, I think they're by Dan Guttenberg. It's like Babe Ruth and me, and the next one's Honus and me, and they travel back in time, and the next one is they find a rare Honus Wagner baseball card. I really wanted to feel like I completed the circle. And so seeing as how I don't have a time machine, and am a big fan of Back to the Future, what better way to do that than to seek out what I thought at the time was a fucking impossibility in terms of finding a photograph from game one of the 1921 World Series between the New York Yankees and...
and the New York Giants. The Yankees beat the Giants in the first game of the World Series. And what I have to show you today, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm doing it, excites me as much, if not more, than the ticket stub that I've just completed the puzzle. This is a scene from the first ever World Series game that the Yankees participated in, in 1921. I'm going to show off the caption. Frankie Frisch, the Giants' star third baseman, safe at third on a triple in the sixth inning. And I'm not going to read the rest, but this is the first ever World Series game, October 5th, 2021. And to find something like this, when you almost have the whole baseball diamond in your view, is going to look great, framed up with the 1921 New York Yankees ticket stub. So very excited to show that off to the audience today. And I wanted to take a moment to explain to everyone, I I get it in the sense of you don't have $4,080 to buy a ticket stub from 1921. Well, you don't have to buy a ticket stub to buy a photograph that costs a couple hundred dollars. And to pair those together to me feels priceless. And so for those that are out there that have a ticket stub to an event that means something to them, go out and see if you can find a wire photo or an original photograph from that event. It's going to make a great pairing. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I'll show you off the finished product when we have it all together in a frame. Um, and who knows, you know, what I'm going to do with it, but at the very least, it'll look great hanging in the office. And what I wanted to do is, along the lines of, for the love of collecting, share with you this other rabbit hole that I went down with Modern recently, and to share with you my thought process on things that I buy and collect, not just for resale, but truly for the love of collecting and how I get to these conclusions. So I grew up a big Michael Jordan fan. Also love Kobe. You know, I still like LeBron, but definitely have more of an affinity towards Michael and Kobe. Grew up a Celtics fan uh, in terms of my team. And I definitely missed the boat as far as jersey cards and the whole era because by that time things were getting really crazy popular. I tended to move backwards towards vintage. So what I've been doing recently is just for myself, I've been collecting some Kobe Bryant non-Panini, so anything upper deck, couple Fleers. I've been buying, for my PC, some Kobe Bryant jersey cards. And when I started out on this journey, I thought these were going to be cost prohibitive, seeing as how most Jordan jersey cards go for easily 500 or up, maybe 1,000 and up. And I was pleasantly surprised when I found that you could buy, especially something like this, like a Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, dual game used jersey. I don't like the warmups. I look just for the jersey stuff. And this one is from 2007. And generally, these have been running me about $50 on average to $150, depending on which Kobe jersey, the exact condition. Um, but these are all cards that I really enjoy. So the next level, and this is what I wanted to share with everyone, I decided to investigate other Kobe Bryant game used jersey cards on eBay. Once again, not as an investor, more so as a collector. Hey, 
Do I want to sell my cards for a gain in the future? Absolutely. But doing it for enjoyment, kind of looking to see like, hey, where is there potential value or, you know, possible deals to be had for a player that I grew up, you know, loving and, you know, would like to have a few more game used cards of his in my collection, seeing as how a game used jersey is very, very expensive. So what I found very interesting is upon looking at the graded, specifically PSA, game used Kobe Bryant market on eBay, it was not only very thin, meaning not a lot of inventory, but it was also fairly expensive. So when I saw a couple pieces like this, 2007 Upper Deck Sweet Swatch, excuse me, Sweet Shot, Sweet Stitches, Kobe Bryant, you can see a piece of his game used jersey there. This one is not numbered. But it is graded PSA 9. And the one thing I do know about jersey cards, with the thickness they're produced, they're very hard to technically grade mint and better. And so this particular card, I believe I bought off of eBay for about 200 or so dollars. And the reason why I felt so comfortable to pull the trigger is because upon buying a number of them in the $50 to $150 range and having the condition be all over the board, it was very fucking obvious to me that this seemed like a fair buy for me, for my PC, when you're talking about a nominal increase to get something graded, authenticated on a scale of nine, excuse me, on a scale out of 10, it's graded a nine. And if you check the pop report after looking at this particular one, I checked the pop report for other, other Kobe Bryant game use jersey cards. It's anemic, very, very low. So I thought that going after cards, this one cost me a little bit more, maybe about 250 or 300. But because I did that deep dive and I got my hands dirty and I bought some cards from that $50 to $150 mark, I felt really comfortable that with not a lot of inventory being at that 200 to $300 level, that if I could pick myself up, I'd certainly prefer a 10. The 10 are astronomical. Some of these cards I'm showing you that are graded are pop one or two and nine and none higher and maybe only one or two lower. And with PSA charging a lot of money to have cards graded right now, the current cheapest you can send in a card to PSA is $150 per card. And with bulk grading, potentially not returning for a long time. And these cards having been produced from this one, 2005. So you're talking 16 years ago, not that easy to find them in mint condition and better. Someone from our audience is asking why no Panini. For me particularly, uh, Harry, great question. I grew up collecting Upper Deck. I did not grow up collecting Panini. So as I mentioned, I'm not only doing this for, if you will, investing in long-term hold, but I'm doing this for nostalgia. I'm doing this for my PC and for the love of collecting. And I just didn't open that much Panini product, you know, as a young kid. I, I opened a lot more Upper Deck, uh, Fleer, uh, tops downers, of course. And so that's kind of let, what led me to, uh, you know, this rule. And to be fair, if Panini was allowed in my PC, I would be having a lot more choices. It would make it infinitely more difficult for me. And so, you know, this is the rabbit hole uh, that I'm enjoying for the moment with my Kobe Bryant game used jersey cards. So I wanted to cover my last topic of today. And this is, I've seen this, unfortunately, time and time again, in the marketplace. Plain and simple, people getting fucked. People getting screwed. 
people getting duped, people getting robbed in a variety of different ways. You're sent a blank fucking envelope in the mail. Someone was supposed to send you a card and they sent it to the wrong address and it never got to you. They can't believe what happened, but they can't find the receipt. And it's only a few hundred dollars and you write them every day for 17 days. And you ask yourself after the 17th day, like, how am I going to track this person down? What am I going to do? You know, I wanted to take a moment to talk about a couple things that you can do to protect yourself. Because make no mistake about it. When people post on Instagram, if they post on something in, on Facebook in a scammers group or on their personal IG page that they got screwed, it is no good for anyone. It's like insurance fraud. Insurance fraud costs annually, I couldn't tell you, what, billions of dollars to the people who actually pay their insurance premiums in all sorts of walks of life, right? So it's the same kind of thing in terms of let's protect our own. Let's look out for our community. So I'm going to go over a couple tips today, which I think will not only helped, uh, help, help you as an individual collector, but also will maybe have you take a step back and think about, well, shit, it is a good deal, but you know what? I'd rather pay a little bit more and know who I'm dealing with and that there's a 99.9% .9 chance I'm going to get it. So first and foremost, when I deal with people on Instagram or PayPal, if they tell me or demand PayPal friends and family, and I don't know you, and you could swear to me that you know 17 people, including my Aunt Betty and my Uncle Billy, it doesn't matter to me because we haven't done business before I have no one that's referred me to you. And PayPal friends and family is a big possible no-no in terms of getting scammed. So do yourself a favor. Tell everyone that you're dealing with that you only have comfort levels in terms of sending payment via PayPal goods and services. Will it cost a few more points? Sure. Even if you have to tack it, in on, tack it on on your end, you're going to be better off for it. Um... And that's, that's number one. Number two, what I'm going to show, people like to tell me how they want to give me a check. They want to give me PayPal. They can't do goods and services because I have to give them a shipping number. And then they say they want to do friends and family um, because it's fine for me. But I try to explain to them that we run a big business and that generally they don't really want us to do friends and family and people get all bent out of shape. So here's the deal. If you're worried about either not being able to get the item of your dreams at a convention or you're worried about being the seller of a really expensive item at a convention and you don't want to get screwed, cash is king. Everyone knows what they're getting. Everyone knows what they have. We all know how to count it. And so I know it can be inconvenient. I've done this before. I've made a deal with someone that I've known at a convention, but they don't want to take PayPal. They don't want to check. I'll tell you what, buddy, I'm going to give you a deposit. I'm going to write up a very simple agreement. Here's my deposit. I'll get you the money in cash within 24 hours. Done. There's a lot of things you can do to protect yourself in the hobby to avoid being screwed. There's nothing worse than seeing scroll after scroll of people. Bobby from Detroit just did another one. You know, Michael from Oklahoma got me again. You don't want any of that shit. So do yourself a favor Find places like the Vintage Breaks Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook. Do yourself a favor. There's dozens of other highly respectable groups on Facebook 
where people will constantly vouch for each other. My friend Jared Landis from Gem Mint runs one of them. And there's plenty of other ones. Deal with people you dealt with before. If it costs you a few more dollars, or if you give a little bit of a discount, knowing you can sleep at night and that you're comfortable is what it's all about. Not just collecting, but in life. And so with that, we are going to close with something that is coming from the heart, from the wallet, from all of us here at Trading Card Therapy, at Vintage Breaks, at Just Collect, at Otia Sports, at Bleaker Trading, and anyone else that cares about our industry. We're going to start off by giving away, and we're going to issue the details on our Trading Card Therapy Instagram page. All one word, so follow us if you're not already. We're going to give away a $500 break credit to VintageBreaks.com in the coming weeks. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get some other companies to collaborate with us and make it a bigger prize or group of prizes so that we can help out folks who've maybe been wronged in our industry for one way, shape, or form or another. We are there for you. We hear you loud and clear. And on that note, this is The Doctor, Leighton Sheldon, 10th episode of Trading Card Therapy in the books. We did it, Ma. Double digits.